Uh, good morning again. Welcome to Church 21. Super glad uh, that you guys are all here. If you're new or visiting with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And uh, extra special welcome to those of you who are gathering with us online and to all of the kids. Now, we don't actually have any kids in the room with us right now, but I know that there are kids at home that are watching, so I will try to relate uh, things to you guys as well. Uh, Church 21 seeks to be a church that responds to the times that we find ourselves in, which is the 21st century. It's one of the many meanings of our church name. And uh, the 21st century is proving to be a crazy uh, time, a crazy place for us to live. And our desire is to take the timeless truths of the Bible and the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and apply it and declare it to the city in a culturally relevant way so that the city comes to know and to love God and to uh, know and love Jesus as their Savior, their King, and their treasure. Now, in addition to meeting online through this broadcast. There are also a number of locations like this one where we're able to gather in small groups of 25 or less as the law allows. Uh, We have four of them that are happening at different times and places today. And if you are medically able to join us at one of these uh, physical gatherings. We would love for you to be able to do that if it's safe for you. Um, And so the way that you do this is you contact your city group leader, you ask them about how to get engaged with one, or you can email us at engage at church21.ca. And that's also a good way to reach out to us if you have any questions about Jesus, the Bible, the gospel, our church, whatever you want. Any questions you have, you can send those to us and we will get back to you. All right. Uh, part of my role here is as uh, overseeing the, all of like the financial stuff, and uh, due to the the rapid and varied changes to the various levels of restrictions that we've been under for the last uh, few weeks and months, we have not had a proper financial report in a while. So I'm going to give a short financial report now, and then we will change gears and get to the Bible. Uh, so, and if you're new visiting with us. Um, please don't hear us asking for your money. We, we, this is a sort of an in-house thing that we're doing, and so you get to see this. But if you're on Team Jesus and this is your home church, then lean in. Lean in, those of you at home, and kids too. Uh, it is never too young to begin. They always say it's never too young to begin investing, right? Everyone should start investing when they're like five years old. It's not legal to your 18, but, you know, start investing when you're young. That's what they always say. It's never too early to start investing in the kingdom of God, so lean in. Uh, where we're at in the budget for the year, as the year kind of goes out, we're, we're, if we had spent everything right up to where we are in the year, year to date, we're about $12,000 behind where we could be in the year, which is not unusual for this time of year because summertime fall, trying to figure out back to school, COVID, uh, it's normal that there's a little bit of slippage. And so we've seen uh, it being a short by about $1,000 a month for a few months. That's how we kind of built some of that up. So projecting forward towards, like now we're in like, I don't know if you guys realize this, we're in the final shoot towards the end of the year. Less than three months and 2020 will be over the worst year we've had in a while it will be over and hopefully next year will be better but there's like 10 weeks left and so there's not very much time and so in that time i project we will finish our budget and be about 15,000 short of the year 
Now, I'm like saying numbers, 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 and you guys are like, rah, 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 just hearing noises or whatever. And so normally I would have like a huge screen behind me and I could put like really big colorful chart and you'd be like, yay, who likes charts? People at home, they like charts. Everyone likes charts. But I can't put a chart because we don't have a screen. So I made you a chart at home out of these connect blocks. So I'm going to try not to break it. It broke in the first service. All right, so this, I don't know if the, maybe the video, is this all in the video? Yes. Okay, so this, this represents our English church budget. It's 190000 This is what $190,000 looks like made out of connects. Each square is about $10,000. And so, and this is the English church budget. The French church budget is separate. The other ministries we have, academy, it's all separate. So this is just us, our English church. And so if we go through the years, we're going now, and everybody just keeps doing what they're normally doing. Most people have it sort of programmed or whatever that they're giving a certain rate. And you go all the way up. Oh, some of the little girls were playing with this. Evidence. The hair. It's very, very exciting, the connects. So we'll get, by the end of the year, we'll get up right up to about here. This is like $175,000. But then we have this red area here, $15,000. So we say $15,000, you're like, that sounds like a lot of money. But when you look at it in context of the whole budget, it's actually very surmountable. This is not a big deal for us as a church. Our church is all spread out right now, so it feels smaller, but we're, we're a decently sized church. So if we, everybody just keeps doing what they're doing, we shall get to here. But if we want to tackle this and take this down so we finish on budget for the year, everyone just do some small extra thing, small or large, whatever you're able, even kids, kids at home, if you guys have like chore money or allowance or whatever, you too can invest in the kingdom of God and we'll just sort of chew through this and I think we'll have no trouble getting through it. So there you go. There's your chart. You will never forget what this looks like. Didn't break. That's good. All right. Shifting gears. Oh, and if you want, if, if you want to give, if you're on the platform, church21.online.church, just click on the um, little give button at the top, or you can go to our website, church21.ca give, and that's how you can do that. All right, so we are going to start, uh, continue this morning with scripture reading. We're going to have a sermon, and we're going to respond with uh, communion and a song. Can't sing, but we can have a song be played over us. And then from there, we're going to go into some discussion questions, which is a really cool thing that we're able to do because of this smaller format that we can actually interact and we can answer some questions and pray for one another. And you can do this at home as well. So when we get to that point, we'll encourage you to turn the video off or we'll stop the feed and you can discuss these things at home. You can even take communion at home if you've prepared these elements or if you've gathered with some other people as you are able legally. So... Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you guys have Bibles or Bible apps with you, you can turn to Exodus 34. It's the second book of the Bible, so it'll be near the beginning. And we're going to be in verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to read them from the English Standard Version. If you have a different version, it's totally fine. And you'll have the joy of comparing how the translations are rendered slightly differently. All right, you got it? Exodus 34, starting in verse 6. The Lord passed before him, and this is the hymn is, is Moses. 
The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Papa God, we come uh, before you this morning with uh, joy inasmuch as we're able to gather as the people of God. Spirit, we ask that you would knit us together in our hearts, even though we are scattered across the city at different times and locations. Um, Those who are gathered in small groups, those who are at home, and those even who are alone, we are united in your spirit. So Spirit, we ask that you would be felt this morning as we uh, assemble in this way. We ask that uh, the word would be... um, richly uh, showered over our hearts, that our hearts would be transformed by the hearing of your word, um, the spirit you would be making us more and more into the image of Jesus, that we would become more like him this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in a sermon series entitled, Who is God? Who is God? Such a great question to be asking. Uh, who is God? And who do you suppose should be answering this question for us. God should answer this question. We don't have the ability to go and find out anything about God. If we have questions about God, we can't go look upon him. We can't go observe him. We can't conduct a study of God. Instead, if we are to know anything about God, God has to act to reveal himself to us, and he has done so in two ways, through a book and through a person through the Bible, and through the person of Jesus, who is God the Son, who came and, and, and became a human babe and lived a relatively normal yet exciting human life and ministered uh, in that time. And this is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us, which is weird when you think about it, of all the ways you could choose to reveal yourself, through a book and through a person. But it makes sense because we serve an interesting God. We get to worship an interesting God. And you could argue that the whole Bible is answering this question, who is God? But it would take us an incredibly long time to read through the whole Bible this morning. And so in this series, we have actually boiled this down to just two verses. Uh, From Exodus 34, the verses that I just read. That's where we're going to, to get this information about God. And this is really an important section of Scripture in that this is God describing himself, quite literally. It's an account of God describing himself to Moses. And as Dwight pointed out uh, a few weeks ago, this is actually the first time that God tells us his name. Who remembers what God's name is? Yahweh. Very good. Yahweh, which basically means I am. It's, it's, it's God saying he's... I I am a being that is. I am. And he has always been, and he will always be. He is eternal and changeless. Uh, He's timeless. It's crazy. Uh, But thankfully, God doesn't just stop there and say, well, here I am. I am. But he goes on to tell us more about himself. And in the last few weeks, as we've gone through this, we've learned that, that God desires to be our friend. He desires relationship with us, which is not a given, right? That God would desire to, to know us and to be in relationship with us. We also learned that God is the God of gods, which is a weird phrase. Uh, but the way the Bible infers about the spiritual realm is it's kind of like the ocean. You think about the ocean, 
there's all kinds of weird stuff in the ocean, right? Sharks and whales and even whale sharks and spinidae fish and puffy fish and sea slugs and octopi and all of these different things are in the ocean. The spiritual realm apparently is similar because God is a creative guy, likes making lots of different stuff. So that God has created in the spiritual realm a whole range of spiritual beings and angelic creatures that we don't know a whole lot about other than that it's a huge mess of them and that some of them have actually rebelled against God and decided, I would like to be a god. And from our vantage point, they would appear like gods. They're just a higher level of majesty than we are, and uh, we would be quite frightened to see them. And some of them have set themselves up as many little gods inappropriately and begun to gather worship for themselves. And so in the Bible, you'll see sometimes God being described as the god of gods, Not to say it's like he's Zeus and there's this pantheon of gods and he's just the biggest, most powerful. Not at all. He's the creator of all things, both here and in heaven, the spiritual realm. He is above all of these things. And we learned that God is gracious and compassionate towards us. He knows that we are but dust, that we have problems, and he desires to uh, help us and to rescue us. So this is what we've learned so far as we've just been going through these couple of verses. This morning, we're going to continue in verse 6, looking at the next little bit, which is just three little words. Three little words. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. That God is slow to anger. Now, anger is something that we can all relate to. We have all experienced being angry. Maybe some of you are angry right now. It's always a wonderful opportunity when you're hustling to try to get to church and your wife isn't ready, or your husband's not ready, or your kids are not ready. If you live alone, you have less reason to be angry, but maybe the bus isn't ready, and you're like, I can see him. He's like eating a sandwich. Why wouldn't he drive to my house? I'm going to be late. And so you get frustrated, and you can even get angry on Sunday morning on your way to church. That's confession for me. I struggle with this. Um, So as we get into this, we're going to be talking quite a bit about anger and the way it's described in the Bible, and particularly the anger of God. And as we do this, we have to ask the question, is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to be angry? Uh, We're going to go and jump a a little bit through Scripture and sort of allow it to illuminate on this subject. So if you still have your Bibles, look with me at 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. And as you guys look things up, I get to drink some coffee. 2 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. This is King Solomon, King David's son. Now he's king. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So what's going on in this passage? First of all, quite clearly, we see God getting angry. And that tells us one thing. It is not a sin to get angry because God is unable to sin. What God does is always right, perfect, and good. He, he can't do sin, which is getting, getting things wrong, doing things imperfectly or wrong. So it isn't a sin to be angry. It's okay to be angry. Um, it's just like God being upset about things not being the way that they're supposed to be, which is frustrating and can lead to anger. And whenever God gets angry, his anger is good and right, 
or righteous. And this is where we get the idea of righteous anger. God's anger is always good and righteous. So, not a sin, just a normal part of life. Secondly, why is God getting angry in this passage? Well, remember the ocean, all the creatures, the different illustration of the heavenly spaces being filled with all of this stuff. Some of them go and make themselves their own gods and try to do this. And God's like, Solomon, I'm the real one. <laughs> like, don't worship these other fake gods that are just trying to. And they had been successful in gathering worshipers to themselves. And the other cultures around Israel were, were worshiping some of these, these gods and carvings that represented them and whatnot. And he's like, don't worship these other gods. And what Solomon do? He does what he wants to do instead of what is right. He starts worshiping these other gods. Not necessarily even instead of Yahweh, but alongside, which is really gross and inappropriate. And that is sinful, and it makes God angry. He gets angry when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, which is the same reason that we get angry. We get angry when things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And it's one of the ways that we are like God. Now, when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that's called sin in the Bible. It's missing the mark. It's archery term. So I don't know if you guys have ever, has anyone ever actually shot a bow and arrow before? Or like a crossbow? One time, bonus story, I went to, um, so I didn't tell this in the first gathering, one time I went to my relatives in Vermont, and we just showed up. We didn't tell them we're coming. And my cousin was in the backyard behind his thing, his house, and he had his, he had his uh, bow and arrow, and he had this like plastic deer set up. And he's like, you want to shoot it? And I'm like, Yes, I do. I do want to shoot this arrow so bad. And so I was just like doing it. I'm like released between heartbeats, you know, like all of the thoughts that you see from TV. And I just drilled that plastic deer at a great distance. And I felt very proud of myself. He was super impressed too. And then he goes into his house and he gets some frozen deer meat out of his freezer and he gives it to me. And I was like, I had the whole hunt. I've never been hunting. Unlike Pastor Dwight, who grew up killing things. I did not have this experience, and now I've managed to kill this plastic deer and have a piece of deer meat. It was like the whole experience. What am I even talking about? Archery. Sorry. So when you're doing archery, when you're doing archery and you're shooting an arrow, we don't have to be at an animal. Let's just go back to like a target. So if you're shooting at a target and you miss, you're not doing it perfect like Robin Hood, and it's like not splitting the other arrow, and it's just a little to the side, they actually call that a sin. That's a sin. You missed. You missed a little bit. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not perfect the way God is perfect. So sin is missing the mark. And when we see this in our lives, when things are not perfect towards us or towards other people, it makes us frustrated and can lead to anger, which is a tricky thing because what happens when we get angry? Do we start making really great life choices? Do things get better and better and better as you're angry and you're doing stuff? Not at all. Not at all. The choices that you're making, our anger usually doesn't fix things. In fact, it's actually really easy to sin in your anger and just add on to whatever sin made you angry. Now you're like, more sin on top of that. More brokenness piling on. Uh, Paul warns us about this in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 26. He says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And you might be more familiar with the, the New International Version, which renders it slightly differently. It says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So either way, either way you render this, Paul is acknowledging that inevitably, at some points, you will feel anger. It's just normal. You're going to feel angry. He's not condemning us for that. But he is warning us that when we are angry, we have a tendency to get things wrong. That things are not going to— there's a good chance of sinning in our anger and adding on more brokenness. Example, 
One time, many years ago, I was frustrated about something. I don't even remember what it was. I was in our apartment, and, it was, and I got very angry, very, very angry. And unfortunately, in that moment, in my hand were my keys. And my keys, I had my car keys on there, these plastic things, and the house key, and all these keys, which was bad news for my keys. Because instead of just making the, doing what was right, which is putting them where they go, or putting them back in my pocket, I threw them on the ground in my anger and broke one of these plastic parts on my car keys, which turns out are quite expensive to replace. And I was not wanting to pay the money to replace it. And so I just thought I would glue it back together, which was of middling success. And you can see in glue commercials on TV, they glue it and it's back, it's good as new. Lies, lies, don't trust super glue. So, and then I think also the battery stopped working, so I had to go the old-fashioned way. Where you, this, this is like, this part doesn't do anything if the battery is working. You just beep, beep, but that wasn't working. So I had to put the key in, I would turn it, and this metal part would like pop it back open where I glued it, and it would just like crumble in my hand, creating new frustration and new anger. So my sinning in my anger only extended the brokenness that I was experiencing in my life for like, it was like a year before I finally bought a new key. It was terrible. Um, and that's the thing about our anger is that when we get angry and when we act in our anger, our anger tends to only make things worse. It only tends to add to the brokenness in the world. And so we have to be careful about that. But when God acts out of anger, he makes things better. He makes things right. Our anger usually breaks things. His anger fixes things and makes things right. So he has a righteous anger. Now, what is righteous anger? Um, so I have uh, an illustration that will hopefully cause you to feel some amount of righteous anger. There are no kids in here right now, and it's tailored for the children. But I know some kids are watching at home, so you guys will still get to enjoy this, and it'll kind of bring us all in at more of an adult level. But imagine that you're at home, you can imagine, just turn your imaginations on, you lower your age by like half. You're at home playing with some toys or something. And as you're playing, minding your own business, some other kid you don't know comes in your house, goes in the kitchen, takes your parents' smartphone, goes into the bathroom, and throws it in the toilet. And they run out of the house. No one sees them. And you're like, oh my goodness, oh no. And you, as a, as a young child, you run into the bathroom to rescue your parents' phone out of the toilet. You bravely are putting your hands into the toilet water to get it out, and your parents come in. And all they see is you, the toilet, and the phone. And what do they think? You did it. And you're like, no, no, there's this other kid. I've never seen them before. I don't know who they are. And they're like, yeah, 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 liar. Consequences. What did, what did Malachi say this morning? I asked what the consequence would be if that happened. I think he said he would be in his room for a year. So don't mess with Dwight's phone. I'm just saying. Uh, and so let's imagine. So, you, so if you're experiencing this, kids at home, if you experience this, that feeling you feel, the injustice of it, that you're blamed for something else. You were trying to do something right. Instead, you're blamed for something you didn't do. And you feel that feeling rising up in you. That's righteous. Anger. It's a small amount of righteous anger. I'm going to make it bigger. Imagine you're in your room and you're having your consequence for a year and you see that kid outside your window staring at you and they have a box of matches and they light a match and they set your house on fire and then they run away and you're like, oh no, and you run out of the house, you chase them, but you can't catch them. You just get the box of matches and you come back, but it's too late. Your whole house is burned down. Your family is safe, but all your stuff is gone, even your room. It's going to be hard to do your consequence. And and so you're fearing grief, and then the police come because, you know, arson, 
and you try to explain, like, you're holding the matches. It doesn't look good. And you try to explain, oh, it's this other kid. And your parents are like, yeah, he's been making up this other kid thing for a while now. And you're like, no. And you go to, like, child jail because you burned down your parents' house. So fresh. Now you feel more. You feel grief at the injustice. You feel more rage. All right, that's for the children. For us as grown-ups, that may not resonate with you, but we have had uh, many opportunities to feel righteous anger in the last year of the great injustices. The thing that comes to top of mind is the police brutality. You watch this video, and you're like, you can't believe what you're seeing. And, and that feeling you feel building in you as it goes on and on is righteous anger. Righteous anger. That's what that feeling is. And this is what God feels all the time. God feels righteous anger all the time. Because we can only see, like, what we see, what's done to us, what we see online, what we see on TV. We only see a little bit, and we judge it by our broken standard of what's right and wrong, but God sees it all. He even sees the interior things of injustice and brokenness, that the sins and the way things aren't supposed to be. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He feels it every day, all the time. He feels a lot of things, but this is one of his part of God's experience is indignation. This word indignation means anger aroused by something unjust, otherwise righteous anger. It's just in him and building and it's, it's pooling up. And the way the Bible talks about this is, is wrath, God's wrath. That his, it's almost like a cup. It'll talk about the cup of God's wrath. He's storing it up. He's not pouring it out. He's storing it up. And we all want justice on a certain level. We desire to live in a just world. We want justice. And we recognize that God is the only one who's really, really, really going to be able to fix everything. Like, our ability to fix this stuff is not great. We do the best we can. But God is ultimately going to have to come down and set everything right. He's going to have to fix everything. And that's a good thing. It's something kind of to look forward to, but also is a problem for us. Why? Because we are the source of this injustice. Humanity. We, like those angelic beings, have also decided we want to be in charge of our lives and decide right and wrong, and we get it wrong a lot, and we commit this injustice. So for the Lord to come and fix all of this has consequences for us. Uh, so much so that, that the, the wrath of God is actually pointed at us, and the Bible calls us, humanity, children of wrath. Children of wrath. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is the Satan or the accuser, one of those entities that set himself up as a mini-god, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So because we do what we want to do, the desires of the mind, desires of the body, we do what we want to do instead of doing what is right, the wrath of God is oriented towards us and the injustice that we are adding to the world. We are those unjust persons. We are the kid who 
breaks into the house and throws the phone in the toilet or, or burns the house down or is um, unjustly policing the city. We are, we're not just the recipients of injustice. We are contributors to the injustice. It's not just other people out there. It's us also. And the Bible talks about the day when the Lord comes and says, enough, I am going to bring my wrath in full upon the earth. And in so doing, as God's wrath fixes things, he's going to fix things. But that removes, that involves the putting away of unjust people. And in the Bible, this is, uh, it hasn't happened yet. This is a day that's coming in the future, and it's called the day of the Lord. You guys heard this phrase before in the Bible, the day of the Lord. And the prophet Joel describes it as being a pretty awful day for the people of the earth. Uh, Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's not typically how we think about, like, God's coming, yay, like, he's here, like, this is, this is a, a, a potential reality for people. Uh, skipping down to verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So let's review. We've kind of gone through looking at Scripture, different places like building an understanding of anger, God's anger, God's wrath, our place in all this. So by way of review, God is angry with sin and injustice, which is good. We are too. We are angry against sin and injustice, rightly so. Secondly, God's anger brings justice and makes things right. God's anger is healing. God's anger is different than our anger. His righteous anger makes things right. But thirdly, we are sinners. We commit injustice all the time. So therefore, four, God's righteous anger or wrath is pointed at us. Five, this is a problem for us. This is a problem. So keeping all of that in mind, let's go back to Exodus 34, verse 6. We'll just reread this a little bit. The Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Now, when we understand biblically our place in, in, in the scheme of things and God's impending anger, the slowness of God's anger is so good for us. It's very beneficial for us, the slowness of God's anger. If God was fast to anger, we would all be destroyed by now, right? We'd be gone. But because God is slow to anger, it creates a little space. Creates a little space between our lives and the day of the Lord, when the Lord sets everything right by his wrath. Uh, Jesus' friend Peter writes about God's slowness. Second Peter chapter 3, uh, in verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, repentance is an interesting word, which involves a sense of turning. So there's a sense of turning away from doing whatever we think is right and being our own little gods of our lives, but instead returning and acknowledging the God of gods, Yahweh, as the one true God and the, the one who sets the standard of the way things should be. We're, we're re-acknowledging, we're turning away. And God is then being slow to anger on purpose because he loves us, and he wants to give us a chance to, to turn from our brokenness and our sin. But if you think about it, how, how is this fair? How is it fair that he's like, oh, just turn? 
Just turn, face this way. Everything will be fine. When you consider the horrible, horrible things that are being done around the world all the time, stuff that you read and you're like, I can't unread that. I really would have preferred ignorance. Horrible, horrible things. When you read about that and then you think, then you read that God's like, oh, just turn and we'll like put it under the rug. We won't think about it. It's not just. It's not just. And then where does God's wrath, rightful wrath against all of this stuff that's built up, where does it go? It just goes under the rug too? How does Jesus, how does God deal with this? He deals with it by coming himself. God the Son comes as Jesus, and he steps into that little gap between your life and your sin and God's wrath, and he stands in that little space, space created for you by the slowness of God's anger. Creates a space for you to turn and repent, and in so doing, invite Jesus to come and stand in that space and take the wrath of God on your behalf. And he does this willingly. It's not divine child abuse. God the Father's not like, hey, come over here. Like, he knowingly, willingly, and lovingly steps into that space for you and has on the cross his own personal uh, day of the Lord where the wrath of God comes and is, is, is poured out on Jesus. He does this out of love for us. And this is God's sort of secret plan to creating like an escape hatch to the situation we find ourselves in where unjust, wrath of God is coming, day of the Lord, but there's this little side gate There's this little way that the Lord has created out of love, and we have a moment to respond to it. Paul writes about this very thing in Romans uh, chapter 5, starting in the middle of verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified or made just, right? We're unjust. He's justifying us or making us just, making us righteous. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God we need saving from. Isn't that interesting? You don't always think about that when you're like Sunday school. It's not like a thing they teach you the first day. You're like, you know what your problem is? The wrath of God. That's coming for you, right? Uh, we think that we have many issues, right? Congestion on the highways, pollution, global warming, COVID. These are not our real problems. The real problem humanity is facing is the wrath of God is coming. And it's just and it's right and it's going to fix everything. But bad news for us, except Jesus, except Jesus, that Jesus can take that wrath for us and then instead make us just. So then when the day of the Lord comes, rather than experiencing the darkness, the gloom, the consequence of our injustice, we can rejoice that the Lord has come and that we will, the earth will be remade and we will no longer experience injustice. We will no longer experience anything that will cause us frustration and anger. Like, will anyone get angry? Any more in heaven? I'm curious about this. You're like, can you stub your toe in heaven on a golden street? Maybe not. You're just like floating over everything. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, but we, it will be better. But unless we have Jesus taking the wrath for us, we can't enjoy the coming of God to set everything right. So there's this opportunity, this opportunity that we have. And those of you who are watching this, there is an opportunity for you this morning to allow Jesus to step in and take the wrath of God for you and to be justified by his blood, to be made just. Not that you'll stop sinning 
Like you will continue to miss the mark. You will continue to get things wrong. But as he, as he justifies you, his spirit comes to dwell inside you and make you more and more just, more and more like Jesus, that like God, we will become slow to anger. Like God, we will become gracious and compassionate. I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, remember in Ephesians where Paul was talking about us being children of wrath? Right? So he's like, yeah, you're children of wrath. Okay? But then in verse 4, he says, but. It's always nice when the Bible, you're like, something bad, but. But something good. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us live together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so not only are we justified, forgiven, that, and it's given to us as a gift, but then we, in Jesus, go into that spiritual realm. The spiritual realm and the earthly realm will eventually be re-merged back the way it used to be, and we, in Jesus, will be above all of that ocean of these powerful spiritual beings and angelic creatures that in Christ were actually raised up to the, to the heights above all of this stuff, which is an amazing place to be. And that, that would be great. Not being destroyed by wrath, raised up in Christ to the very pinnacle of, of society in the courts of God. But then, but then, he apparently is putting us there for a specific reason, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are raised up into this place, which would have been enough, and yet he showers more gifts upon us for eternity. I mean, it's just like, a king who's like, yep, wrath, utter dominion and control, and I can also show how graceful and kind I can be to my enemies, us. Forgive them. Give them a, a symbol of uh, authority in this society, in Christ, and then just shower them with gifts. It's insane. The proposition is insane. It is so good. This is the good news of Scripture, and it's all kind of like packed in there like in a difficult-to-ascertain way. And you look at Jesus' ministry, and he talks in parables so that people won't understand. It's, it's, it's hidden here. It's something for you to unearth. And the more we dig into Scripture, the more beautiful God becomes. The more compelling this, this good news becomes. More and more and more, the more we understand the depth of our need. And then as we receive this, we're able to be gracious to the world, to be slow to anger. So if you want to make this trade, you can do this right now, wherever you're at. You can confess that you are a sinner, asking Jesus to rescue you from your sin and the wrath of God. Ask him to be your savior, your king, and your treasure. And he will forgive your sin, declare you righteous, take away God's wrath, give you his spirit, and make you more like himself. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition into our next chunk. Ah, Papa God, it's, it's unbelievable. Every time we look into the gospel, angels... Uh, in the spiritual realm, the Bible tells us, look into the gospel with wonder and awe and long to understand it, because from their vantage point, it makes even less sense that you would do this for us, that you would become one of us, and that you wouldn't come and rule and reign, but that you would come to suffer and die in our place. It's just, it's an unbelievable twist 
Uh, you have such a sense of theater and drama and humor in the way that you've exercised your power through weakness. And we ask um, now as we transition, we remember um, the death of Jesus on our behalf through communion. As we discuss some questions, as we seek to minister to one another's spirit, we ask that you would be work in our midst, uh, that your voice would be heard, um, that you would um, speak through uh, visions and through pr- prophetic words, uh, that you would minister to us uh, as well. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.